Let's, uh, before we begin, uh, let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. Uh, thank you for the privilege of being here this morning to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for the privilege of meeting in this place. Uh, I thank you for the rain that we've had today. I, I thank you for what uh, this weekend in terms of uh, Reformation Sunday, uh, all of that that has entailed in the life of the church. Today, Father, we just simply ask that you'll bless each of us as uh, your spirit descends upon us, we pray. Help us to understand uh, the, the, the simple terminology of the communion of saints, what all that entails. Uh, would you guide us and would you strengthen us, please, and uh, just enlighten us this morning. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? We have three readings we're going to do right now. None are long, but read uh, along with me as I, I read for us. First of all, the first passage will be from Acts 2, ch uh, chapter 2, verse 42. And here's where the writer says to us, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And then we hear from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And then lastly, uh, Psalm 133. The psalmist writes to us this. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. May God bless us with the reading and the understanding of His Word to our hearts and our minds this morning. You may be seated. Thank you. <clears throat> Last couple of months, we've been summarizing our beliefs as we understand them in the Apostles' Creed. Two weeks ago, we summarized our beliefs in the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. And then last week, I think Brett talked about the church universal, the Holy Catholic, small C church. And today we're going to be looking at the function of that church universal as we see in our subject title for today, the communion of saints. This is going to be kind of a little bit sermon and kind of a little bit a theological study, okay? There is going to be a boatload of Scripture. Some we're going to read while we're here. Some I encourage you to read when you get home. But make notes, please. Uh, this It's such a simple statement, the communion of saints, and yet what we're going to be looking at entails so much of the church. Uh, it, it entails who we are. So there's a lot to grasp here this morning. Renowned theologian J.I. Packer said that this phrase, communion of saints, confirms the real union in Christ of the church militant here on earth and the church triumphant in glory. We also might know these terms more uh, today, and I think Aldrich Zwingli was the one who, who actually authored them, the visible and the invisible church. Now, these terms are not quite the same, but they, they are in the same thought process, at least anyway. Very quickly, here's a little bit of a difference. There's the visible church. 
Those who attend church. Maybe, uh, maybe sometimes without making a commitment to Christ. Those we see each and every week in, in church who, who may come to be seen. Who may come to have a box checked off for the week. You, you, you never truly made the, the life-changing commitment to Christ though. Then there's the invisible church. Those who are God's adopted children. They made that confession of faith. They've given their lives to Jesus Christ. They are working toward sanctification each and every day. They still sin. But you see, the beauty of this is they understand that. And they're able to get past it rather than to be stonewalled by sin. They're able to work through that and know that Jesus Christ is there to forgive them of their sins. They're repentant and they're confident in that cleansing blood of Jesus. All look the same sitting in church on Sunday, but their heart suggests a totally different lifestyle. That's the visible and the invisible church. Now, the church militant and the church triumphant. They are the church militant. They are the ones fighting with daily battles here on earth, who are defending the good name of Jesus Christ and who are defending the faith. We could say that maybe to a certain degree, that is the invisible and the visible church to an extent here. I think you could argue that point. The church triumphant, though, they are the ones who have already received their eternal reward. They're no longer with us. I believe Hebrews 12 talks about the cloud of witnesses. Uh, that, that is who I envision as the church triumphant. Those who have triumphed over life and death. And they are now at home in heaven. These are different names that, that basically describe believers and non-believers essentially. A good definition of, of communion would be what? Fellowship, right? I mean, that, that's kind of one of the words that we think of here. And if you think about it, for us here on earth, one of the distinctives or key roles of the church on earth, the church militant, let's say in this particular instance, is encompassing, uh, that encompasses both visible and invisible church, is fellowship. That's one of our, our key points. I, I talk about the big three oftentimes. Prayer, Bible study, and fellowship. Those are the three things. But it's part of what we are. It's part of our identity, or at least it should be. Now, we've been hampered to a certain extent by this stupid virus. That's my technical term for it, the stupid virus. But, I mean, that, that in essence is what has kept us from a complete fellowship that we normally like to have. And yet, I look at what we did. I'm getting off on another subject, but I'm up here. Y'all can't stop me. Uh, I, we, we, and i got to stay in front of the camera. Sorry. Um, this is hard to do. If you look at what we did all summer long, if you look at how we were able to fellowship one with another when we were out at the Olson farm on Sundays, and, and you look at, at the way that we were able to come together in other times through Zoom and things like that, that's not the be-all and end-all by any stretch, okay? But look how we were able to stay together. And yet other churches who have, have just gave up worship and all altogether have lost people. They've lost their, their folks. Why? Because they miss that fellowship of fellow believers. And they need that somewhere along the line. And thank God 
We have been able to look past some of these things and to be able to continue in our fellowship. Now I'll get back on subject. But what, is, what does fellowship mean to us? In the Greek, it's a base idea for sharing. Simple sharing. In some ways, fellowship could be defined by what we share. Classic example there is a meal together. It might mean sharing joy. It might be sharing sorrows. It might be sharing a workload. It could be any number of different things. In the church, it's our means by which we are in fellowship with each other and with Christ at the same time. It means we are the recipients of all the benefits that come through Christ in our relationship with Him. Communion or our fellowship with each other is sharing life with those who possess the same new life in Jesus Christ that you have. Our, great, our one great analogy of communion is marriage. And if you look at how the church and Jesus are fitted together, it is as bride, the church, and bridegroom, Jesus Christ. One passage to grasp this morning, and we're not going to read it yet, but 1 Corinthians 3 21 through 23. We'll look at that in just a little bit. With that thought in mind, we want to look at the communion of saints in three ways. First is communion with God. Second is communion with the church triumphant, as J.I. Piker put it. In other words, communion with ones who have gone on before us. And then lastly is communion with the church militant. The church visible, as we talked a little while ago about it. That is communion with the church here on earth, expressed in the local congregation in which we fellowship as we are doing right now. And we also do it each time we come together and we share in our lives one with another through various ways, including worship. First, though, let's look at communion with God. We begin with a passage from 1 John 1, 3. John writes that we have seen and heard the Lord Jesus Christ and proclaim Him to you so that you might also have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. This is, in essence, our fellowship with God through Christ. Now, stick with me on this. It's a complicated triangle here, okay? We're in communion with Christ by virtue of our union with Him. And we're in communion with God because of our union with Christ. We as believers through faith have union with Christ and we're united to Him through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. You see? Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Subsequently, we have communion with God due to this union with Christ and the Spirit. Perfect example of our ability to have communion with God here on earth is through the Lord's Supper. We'll have that shortly. We fellowship at the table through and with our risen Savior and therefore commune with God the Father by way of Christ. Now, Write this passage down. We're not going to read it right now, but read it when you get an opportunity. It's Philippians 3, 8 through 11. Paul says here he wants to know Christ, not only in the power of His resurrection, but also in the fellowship of His suffering. Becoming like Him in His death. 
Can you imagine that? Can you imagine wanting to pray that we might suffer like Paul did or like Christ did? What a strange thing to ask for, is it not? We always think about sharing in the joys. But do we think about sharing in the suffering as well? In other words, what we're trying to do is be united with Christ in every phase of life. We're reminded numerous times in the New Testament that we need to take up our cross and follow Jesus. Take up our cross. What does that mean? Well, you go back to what happened with Jesus and the cross He had to bear. And you see the suffering that He went through. Put that thought down at one point in time and see how that pertains to you. And see if that doesn't change your life. We're becoming more like Him and less like the world. Paul has the audacity to pray for these things. But I ask you this morning, do we have that same kind of audacity to pray for the same things that Paul was praying for? In order to fellowship with Christ, we not only have to meet Him at His table, but we must meet Him in His sufferings. However, when we meet Him in that way, we know that we will meet Him in His joy as well. And that joy came where? It came in the resurrection. It came in His victory over death. His joy comes when we come to Him for salvation's sake and we attempt to live a sanctified life each and every day. From this we know we will commune with God through the darkest of times as well as through the greatest of days. It isn't when we just be still and know that He is God, though that is important, okay? It comes through, the, the, also comes through times of great personal loss, of physical problems that we may experience, even when the church is persecuted for standing up for what we believe is right. Or when you're persecuted for simply stating the fact that you believe in Jesus Christ. Folks, in social media nowadays, in so many different capacities of life, making that simple proclamation that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior is becoming a less and less popular statement to make. We might just see more of this, as weird as it may sound. We may have more opportunities to suffer for the cause of Christ in the days ahead. Paul didn't just pray that that God would get him through those times. He prayed that God would give him the privilege of entering into sweet communion with Christ just as Christ suffered upon this earth. Can we think like that? Can we go that far in our faith? This is one of the facets of communion with the saints, but not in the classic way that we think of, I'm sure, when we are saying the Apostles' Creed. But this is what this study is all about. To make you look beyond the scope of what you just see on a piece of paper. And we didn't even do the Apostles' Creed yet. We'll do that shortly. I've been ready for this one. I really have. This is... Anyway, and yet, this is a prerequisite to being able to have communion 
with the saints. So now we're going to look at that from that perspective, okay? The point I'm about to make to you is something that, that you may not have ever thought about before. And I'll be honest with you, when I was studying this sermon, when I was preparing it uh, for this subject today, I really had not ever thought about it before either. But J.I. Packer mentions it. We have communion with the church triumphant. That is, we have communion with those who have died and gone on ahead of us. Have you ever stopped to think about that? Isn't that an interesting thought? And the fellowship that we have with them, the sharing of joy, comes through a shared hope. Now, I want to read for you Hebrews 12, 22 through 24. The writer of Hebrews says this, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Hebrews is telling us that we here in the church have communion with the saints in glory. We're united to Christ. And the people who have gone on before us and the church triumphant, they are united to Christ. And though we're separated by a vast space, and we honestly, we really don't even have a total idea of what they might be doing at this particular moment, we have the hope that they are now united in the activity of worshiping our Lord just as we believe that they are doing. Now some of our proof lies in the book of Revelation. Let's look at this, chapter 7, verses 11 and 12. Revelation tells us this, And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Has that all taken place yet? After all, Revelation was written 2,000 years ago or so. We don't know. We can't say for sure. But we believe that God is being worshipped. Because that's what Revelation says is going to be taking place. It was their desire to worship God in chapter 7. It should be ours as well. I did a Bible study sometime back on the question of the final judgment from our confession of faith. Question number 33. And one thought in this led to another. It's hard to look at that final judgment without wanting to look at other aspects of what heaven is going to be like. Things like that. Yet we are given God's word on the matter and that should suffice. But we do know one thing from 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8. If we are absent in the body, our hope is where? Our hope is that we will be in the Lord. And with that hope, we believe that we all will be praising and worshiping the God of all creation at that particular time. That's our hope. With that being said, as as we come to the last aspect of communion with the saints, and that is we commune with those of the church militant. 
Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In other words, we are to work together to use our spiritual gifts to help the church universal in the world as well as to use our gifts to help the local church. The gifts don't belong to us. They are given to us to use for God's glory, not for our own glory. We have a responsibility to each other by virtue of our communion with them and our common union, also known as communion, with Christ. I told you we'd get back to 1 Corinthians 3, 21-23. It says this, Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. We are in union with Christ to be in communion with God, as we said earlier. God has given us these gifts that we might minister one to another. Those who are strong in the faith and rich in spiritual gifts have responsibilities towards those who are weak in the faith and who lack development in their gifts. Read Paul's letters to Timothy. Uh, that, that really helps an awful lot in being able to understand our, uh, what we're to do for each other, help one another. Our gifts have been given to us for the purpose of building up the entire body. That implies a willingness to share with them with others or share them with others. We should rejoice when others, with others when good things happen for them as they should do with us. We should have no jealousy when, when measuring someone else's good fortune. Yet in Acts 2, 44 and 45, each member gave according to their ability and each received according to their own need. Now this wasn't done. Understand this, okay? A lot of socialistic groups try to use this. And, oh, well, the Bible talks about socialism. No, it doesn't. This is not about a socialistic mode of living in mind here. It is simply a reminder for the need of mutual commitment we should have one to another in Christian fellowship. We should grieve with others when they grieve as well. We should live for one another so that we might belong to each other because we as Christians all belong to who? We all belong to God, right? We share mutual obligations to one another, praying for the good of other congregations, praying for healing, praying for so many different things. This is one of the things about on, on Thursday night. Shameless plug here. Eight o'clock. Please come and just... If you haven't done it before, come and just be a part. It takes about 30 minutes or so. But we are able to catch up with it, one another in our lives for the week. But we are able to pray in so specific ways. And I promise you also, you will never hear sweeter prayers prayed by the people that are on that particular prayer time with us. Please, be a part of it. Try it one time. If it's not for you, I won't ask you to do it again. But come once and try it, okay? Anyway, we should fellowship together here and in places that we might travel, sharing in our lives with other brothers and sisters in Christ. You go on vacation. Oh, good. I don't have to get up Sunday morning and go to church. You should. 
What are you doing there? You're not, you're not trying to, again, check off a box here. What you're trying to do is strengthen your faith and show others in that particular uh, congregation, wherever you go, that you're thinking about and praying for them as well, which is what they should be doing for us. But they'll never know you if you don't go. So be there. We should share in our common goals and missions, especially in our local congregation here at Hill City. So if we can absorb that, if we understand all of the privileges that are entailed in a spirit of communion one with another, we will understand the responsibilities that go along with them. We'll be diligent in our study. We'll worship together because we're all a part of the body of believers. We'll attempt to live in peace with one another. We have been called to holiness together. We can't go off doing our own thing and not expect it to do damage to the whole body. We are not islands. We are all one in Christ. To acknowledge the communion of saints, we must not consider ourselves a holy club. Now think about that one for a minute. We are not to think of ourselves as some holy, separate, and apart from everybody else because we're better than they are, club. It means that we believe in a holy God who has called us into a community within His work of renewal and regeneration that can take place in any of us. We're called to be holy, not because we are holy. The church, the fellowship of believers, is a group of forgiven sinners who confidently hope by God's grace to be a fellowship of saints or people set apart from the world. Think classically as well when we consider the Lord's Supper. Communion, many call it. The bread and the wine of the supper are are meant to remind us of the suffering and death of our Savior upon which our salvation rests. And in which our joy should be laid. The supper is another great reminder that despite our sin, we have been set apart from the world. And yet as the communion of saints, we have been called to go into the world and proclaim the saving grace of God through Christ because He loved the world that much. It's through the fellowship of believers the communion of saints now and in our past, that we can say that we are in union with Christ through what others have led us to. That saving knowledge of Jesus. So I ask you this morning in closing, what part of the communion of saints are you? Are you a part of just the the visible church? You're here every week, but your, your spiritual growth seems rather stunted. Maybe you come to make sure certain folks see you so they won't ask you where you've been for the last couple of weeks since they haven't seen you in a while. Are you coming just to be seen? Are you checking another box off? Or are you part of the invisible church? Coming together with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to learn And to grow in spirit. To be undergirded in faith when you've been struggling. To be with fellow Christians as we all travel the pathway called life together. Are you coming to learn more about our Savior? 
and be reminded of how much He loves you and how much He sacrificed for you? What does communion of saints, what does that mean to you? Let's pray. Father, we thank You. We praise You. Uh, You continue to reveal to us, Lord, uh, some disturbing things in our own lives. How we're not necessarily uh, following Your pathway. How we should be more of a brother or a sister in Christ to others around us. We may know many people, Lord. We may know a lot of folks in the church, but are we truly... Are we truly brothers and sisters one to another as you've called us to be? Help us to examine ourselves to that end. Not to look down our nose at others because we have something that they don't have. But Lord, help us to tell others of Jesus in a way that shows our love. The love that you gave us to pass on to others. May we do that. Bless us to that end. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.